You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. two are on the road to Jerusalem. They are traveling with heavy hearts. Their dreams dash, their Messiah and friend publicly executed by the Romans. And as they walk, they can't help but talk about all that had happened. I've been on a journey like that. Have you? I've lived most of my adult life away from family far away from family, and more than once have had to make a long journey home when a loved one died. The traveling back for a funeral is hard because no one around you knows your private grief, and the friendly greetings of clerks and flight attendants seem so harsh in that moment. But it's the journey back home Once the funeral is over, the eulogies have all been spoken, the tears shed, the meals shared, it's then that it truly begins to sink in, the finality of it all, that life will never be the same again. Cleopas and his companion may be making that painful journey back home when the reality of the loss of Jesus begins to feel real to them. Now, were we reading our gospel text in the King James Version, it would begin dramatically with a flourish saying, and behold, (laughs) Luke uses that introduction a lot in his gospel, but modern translations tend to leave it out. They soften it by translating it, and now, or they leave it out altogether. But it's a way to catch our attention, to say, look over here. The angel Gabriel uses that same word when breaking the news to Mary back in chapter 1. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, although the New Revised Standard Version says, and now, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. No, behold you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Look over here, Luke is shouting at us. Open your eyes. Pay attention. This is important. Now, we, the readers of the gospel, of course, have the luxury of knowing who it is that joins those two disciples on the way. Luke tells us that it was Jesus, but says their eyes were prevented or kept from recognizing him. Eyes were prevented. That's a strange way to phrase it, isn't it? Is it that God keeps them from seeing? The text isn't clear. 
It could be a simple narrative device. After all, the story would be much shorter if they immediately recognized him when he appeared on the road. But it feels genuine, doesn't it? It feels like an authentic experience of grief. If you've ever walked in the shadow of death, when, when grief clings to you, when it weighs you down, when even the smallest task seems to take more energy than you can find, and your heart feels heavy, it feels physically heavy. The idea that they couldn't recognize him, that doesn't seem remote after all, does it? Grief often restricts our vision. It limits what we notice around us. It envelops us. And even as they cannot see the risen Christ engage them in conversation, what are you talking about? And with his question, the floodgates just open up. Are you the only one who doesn't know? And they spill out their story. And not just their story, but their hopes and their dreams. After all, they thought that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And then they talk about their confusion. And their doubts, the witness of the women, the mystery of the empty tomb, they're traveling that familiar road of disappointment. When despair greets you at every turn, when your future doesn't look the way you hoped it would be. We've been on that road too, haven't we? When news breaks, of another senseless shooting of folks at the wrong doorstep or in the wrong driveway. And we realize how deeply rooted is the fear that defines our society and the hopelessness just grows. Churches are not immune to moments of despair. We know this, don't we? Churches have been experiencing declines in membership and participation for decades. Sunday schools that once overflowed in the 1950s, now in the 1970s, now 50 years later, struggle if they exist at all. The Pew Research Center has shown that the downward trends have continued through the pandemic. The share of the U.S. adults who say they generally attend religious services once a month or more has dropped from 33% in 2019 to 30% in 2022. The grief for days gone by can overwhelm congregations, making it difficult for us to honestly see our present condition and to imagine a different future. On that road to Emmaus, the two disciples are struggling to make sense of their situation, and they listen as the incarnate word walks with them and explains to them yet again a new interpretation of Scripture. Luke leaves unsaid much of what Jesus shared with them. We can imagine him reminding them once more of what he had taught them before. That God's love and power are a suffering love, not a force that demands, but a power which welcomes and embraces. Just as he had done with them time and time again. 
And then before they know it, Emmaus is there right before them. Is it their final destination or is it a planned overnight stay on a longer journey back to Galilee? The text doesn't say. But Jesus looks as if he's going to travel on a little bit further. And excitedly, they ask him to stay. The King James puts it so poetically. But they constrained him, saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. It's the inspiration for that beloved hymn, Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. And he does. He stays there at the close of the day after a long journey. The risen Christ sits down to table with them and their lives are about to be turned upside down yet again. As the evening falls, they share a meal. Food and drink so essential and yet so ordinary. In that moment of everyday ritual, in the taking, in the blessing. In the breaking and giving of bread, suddenly they see him. Suddenly they recognize their friend in that moment when the bread is broken. The story has inspired artists throughout the centuries. Velasquez, Caravaggio, for starters. When our Zoom Vespers read this passage last year, we paired the story with Rembrandt's powerful interpretation of this scene. But I'd like to call your attention to the ink drawing on the front of your bulletin this morning. If you're joining us online, I invite you to find that in the comment section if you have not already done so. It's an ink drawing by Peter van Rijk, imagining of that moment, drawn in 1605. And he pictures the travelers either staying in a very rich household or perhaps at an inn, a bustling place for folks resting on a long journey. And in a way, this sketch reminds me of the old Where's Waldo puzzle books. Remember those? Frustrating scenes of crowds, and we're looking for a man with little black room glasses and red and white striped hat. This image feels that way too, because you look at it, and you wonder, how can this be a supper at Emmaus? There are servants, and there are visitors, and there's children milling about. There are dogs and puppies. There's a rooster. There's a cat. There's food in various states of preparedness or just brought back from the table. It looks noisy, doesn't it? Chaotic. There's conversations in the back. There are people busy fixing dishes. The woman in the front, I almost imagine her humming a tune as she's peeling carrots. And it's easy to get caught up in the action that takes up most of the sketch, but if you allow your eyes to focus on the top right-hand corner, barely discernible, there are three figures at a table. And the figure in the center has his hand raised in blessing with what looks like a very faint halo 
around his head. It's that moment of recognition captured amidst everyday activity with most folks going about their daily work, never seeing the sacred right there with them. If you're not looking for it, if you're not seeking it out, you'll miss it. Thomas Merton, the 20th century monk and great writer on the contemplative tradition wrote, we already have everything, but we don't know it and don't experience it. Everything has been given to us in Christ. All we need is to experience what we already possess. All we need is to experience what we already possess. There's the rub, isn't it? Often we're caught up in the details of the moment, like the figures in Van Rijk's sketch, busy with life. We're unable to see the holy right there. Even Cleopas and his traveling partner, as they see in that private moment and they finally recognize the risen Christ in a blink of an eye, the experience is over. In this encounter in Emmaus, Luke paints a picture of our spiritual lives, I think of the potential for finding the sacred in our lives and the elusiveness of those experiences. How easy is it for us to miss those moments, to lose ourselves in the details and never see that the Holy One has been there all the time just waiting for us to open our eyes. The French philosopher Simone Weil wrote, Attention taken to its highest degree is the same thing as prayer. It presupposes faith and love. Absolute, unmixed attention is prayer. I love that idea. Absolute, unmixed attention is prayer. We're in the middle of the Easter season. The flowers which brightened up our cross on Easter Sunday have long since wilted away. Maybe you still have some Easter chocolate hidden away in your cabinet. But for many of us, Easter is a memory in the rearview mirror. Luke invites us to pay attention. To not give in to the hopelessness of our present day, but to allow ourselves to stay open to the possibilities of new life that God has for us. Whether that hope is to be found in our personal lives or as a community of faith together, we have not been abandoned. God is here. God is doing a new thing. Can we not perceive it. Now notice the story doesn't end in Emmaus. Those two disciples, even though the evening has come, did not stay there. Instead, they rush back to their friends, to their community. They have to tell this story of revelation. And they sought out solidarity with those who had been following Jesus with them. That moment of recognition that they had was one to be shared and not hoarded. 
It's a story to give encouragement and hope to a community struggling to see God's presence in the midst of their collective despair. My friends, there are resurrection moments all around us. Spirit is here at work if we are able to, even for just a fleeting moment, to give life our absolutely unmixed attention. May we find the risen Christ today along the way. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.